let me begin this. We are, we are starting a few topics on discipleship and uh, we're going down the pathway of a uh, few marks of a disciple. And last week, Pastor Caroline talked about discipleship and God's Word. And today, I want to explore the topic on discipleship and prayer. Uh, last Friday, as I was walking, doing my daily morning walk at uh, Westerfold Park, I saw a lady with a dog, and I recognized the dog. I'm not very good with uh, uh, knowing what type of dog is that. People, are, I don't know, you know. I'm not very good in that. Or plants, uh, I'm not very good as well. But I recognized that dog because my brother in Singapore uh, had Schnauzer, a dog. So I was able to strike out a very simple conversation with her and just say, oh, this is, you have a schnauzer. I said, I'm from Singapore. My brother used to have a schnauzer, but my brother's dog committed suicide. <laughs> Literally, he leaped off 14th floor and just jumped down uh, and died. And my brother wept for a week, couldn't go for walk, uh, work. Uh, so I haven't uh, able to strike out a conversation with her. But... I can ask, we can talk, we have exchanged, we don't realize every day when we go out, go to coffee shop or walk in the park, we have exchanged with people. But we don't realize that there is a basis on that exchange. And the greater the basis, the intimate where your, your conversation can be. I can talk to her about dog, but I can't at the end of the conversation and say, can I have your dog? Or can I have your car key? Uh, or can you give me a thousand dollars? I can't say that because of the basis of our relationship. And so the point is, the, the deeper the relationship, then the greater the exchange will be. And so today we're going to explore this topic because the basis of, our, of that conversation with God is deep. And when you have greater basis, then the level of your conversation will be deeper. And so we're going to explore this. I'm going to ask you to uh, refer, refer to Matthew chapter, chapter 6 because there's a greater length on the, uh, the Lord's Prayer. We won't be able to cover the Lord's Prayer. I think maybe next year we can do a series on that. But I will have just uh, one particular point that I want to point out. Let me just read to you this, uh, this text first. And when you pray, Jesus corrected... Uh, some of the people, I mean, it, it all came out from the fact that they asked Jesus to teach them how to pray because the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, the discipleship, the disciples growing up in the uh, Jewish culture, they learned how to pray. But when they begin to mix with Jesus, they realize that Jesus prayed very differently, very differently, very unlike what they have been taught. And so they wanted to learn how to pray. And so they asked Jesus to teach them how to pray. And so in this passage, Jesus kind of corrected them some of the wrong way of praying and then lead them to the correct way of praying. And when you begin to see this text, you begin to see, ah, that's right, I've been praying wrongly as well. And so let me just bring this text to you and I'll give you three points, but I'm going to emphasize more on the third point because it is the third point that actually governs the first two points. Let me uh, read to you first. Verse 5 says, And when you pray, again, remember he's correcting them that they have been praying wrongly. When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, which your original word means actor. 
For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret, He will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This then is how you should pray. See, He's correcting them of the wrong method of prayer and now He's moving on to telling them this is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your heavenly Father will not forgive your sins. Prayer is a very common topic. We all know we pray, we do a lot in this church. Uh, a lot of kneeling, someone said, a lot of kneeling will keep you in good standing. Or he who kneels before God uh, can stand before anyone. The strange thing about prayer is God could do whatever He chooses in this world without our prayer. He doesn't need to involve us. But for some reason, He has invited us to be His co-laborers. God has determined that He will use the prayers of His people to accomplish His purposes on earth. For whatever reason, He could have done it, do everything without involving us. But throughout Scripture, we are told that somehow He chooses to use our prayers to accomplish certain things. You see that right throughout the Bible. Beginning with the Old Testament, we see that prayer opened the Red Sea. Prayer brought water from the rock and bread from heaven. Prayer made the sun stand still. Prayer brought fire from the sky to consume Elijah's drenched sacrifice in 1 Kings chapter 18, I think. Uh, prayer overthrew armies and prayer heals the sick. Prayer raised the dead. Everything that God does in the work of ministry, somehow He does it through prayer. Consider, prayer is the way you defeat the devil. Prayer is the way you get the lost saved. Prayer is the way you acquire wisdom. In James 1 verse 5, it says that. Prayer is the way a backslider uh, gets restored. In James chapter 5 verse 16 to 20, prayer is how the saints get strengthened. 
Jesus said, watch and pray that you may not point into temptation. Prayer is the way we get laborers out into the mission field. Ask the God of the laborers to send out laborers into the field. Prayer is how we cure the sick in James chapter 5 again. Prayer is how we accomplish the impossible in Mark chapter 11. God, for whatever reason, used the tools of prayer to accomplish things, even though He doesn't need to involve us. I remember when I was a young Christian, I read this book called Piercing the Darkness. How many of you read this book by Frank Perati? Uh, it was before uh, Tim LaHaye wrote this uh, Left Behind series. Uh, Frank Perati is one of those who, who wrote this kind of book. And I remember in one scene, it talks about heaven looking down on the destruction of some of the earth and the angels were saying, come on, let's, let's go and do something. But the other angels said, no, we can't because no one prayed. Somehow that left a, a, a deep impression on me when I was reading that book. Uh, God can do all things without involving us, but for whatever reason, He chose to involve us to accomplish great things in this world through our prayers. But of course, sometimes we pray wrongly, God still overrules because His sovereignty is always greater than what we can do. God can use all the mess that we, we have created and throughout through the mess, He weaves something beautiful out of it. Because He is a sovereign God, nothing can thwart His plan. He used everything towards making something beautiful. So let me just uh, quickly uh, draw from this text three points on a genuine and meaningful prayer. But my emphasis will be on the third point because first and two point, it can be considered pagan prayer as well. But uh, Jesus corrected them and said, genuine and meaningful prayer begins in secret. He said, it begins with secret. He said, when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Uh, Jesus said, well, if that is what you desire, you will really achieve what you want. People seeing you, you have already received your reward in full. He said, instead, when you pray, you go into your room, you, you close the door, you pray to your Father who is unseen, and then your Father who sees what is done in secret, uh, He will reward you. It has been said that there are two main places where a Jew in Jesus' day might pray in a hypocritical manner. They might pray at the synagogue at the time of public prayer or on the street at the appointed time, 9 a.m., 12 p.m., and 3 p.m. And in the synagogue, worship, some, worship someone from the in the synagogue worship, someone from the congregation might be asked to pray publicly, standing in front of the ark. And prayer was not normally practiced at the street corners, but uh, one who strictly observed the afternoon hour of prayer, and when they reached the time, they could deliberately time their movement in such a way to bring him the most maximum public place at the appropriate time. When I was... Uh, 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 serving as a missionary in Pakistan, when we are riding on a train or bus, when it is the time for prayer, the bus will stop and every passengers on the bus, they will go down and line up in prayer. And then I will be sitting there with my friends, sitting there in the bus, empty. Everybody stop and just go down there and pray. Or train, they will line up, they will, they will they'll be praying in the train. The whole Everybody doing that. It is almost like a kind of pressure that even if you are a nominal Muslim, you will do that because of the severe pressure that everybody does that. 
And the specific ancient Greek word for room was used for a storeroom where treasures were kept. And this reminds us that there are treasures waiting for us in our prayer closet. Uh, I remember watching the movie called, uh, is it War Room? War Room? I remember this lady has a room in the house uh, called Prayer Room. I, I find it wonderful because we often have study room, we have uh, uh, dining room, but why Christians don't have a prayer room? Somehow when we designate something to something, we tend to go there and do the thing that we designated for. If it's a dining place, we go there to dine. And there's a study room. I do my study, I go to that study room. And if we designate a room called study room, a prayer room, maybe when we enter the room, we actually will pray. Uh, or some people convert their, their spare bathroom. I know of a lady in that, that our, our shower area, you know, slightly bigger, and she actually designated the prayer as a prayer closet. She has paced everything all over her, her, her shower thing, you know, and, and, and just lock in there. Whenever she enters there, is prayer. The children know when the mother enters into that area, they don't disturb her because that is the time of her prayer. And Jesus often gives us the example. He withdrew, he often withdrew to lonely places to be by himself and pray. Why? Why, why the secret star? Why pray in public? Well, first off, this particular prayer principle reminds us that the purpose of prayer is not to impress others. Uh, like the religious leaders of Jesus' day who prayed on busy street corners at set times every day so that people know that they are spiritual. The purpose of prayer is for us to be alone in conversation with God. We do not pray to communicate to others how holy we are. We pray to communicate with God on how holy He is. So prayer is not a spectator sport. It's not something we engage to give off sickness of, sickness of our own spiritual spirituality. And there was a tendency for people to use their prayers as a means of impressing others with their piety. But prayer is to be communion with God, not a means of increasing our reputation. And so the practice of secrecy liberates us, liberates us, those of us who are trapped by the desire to be seen and enable us to give up on the whole business of impression management. And the Desert Fathers had a saying concerning the connection between the practice of secrecy and a heart that's warm for God. This is what the Desert Fathers says: If you want to keep the fire hot, you must not open the door to the furnace too often. Now, please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that public prayer is wrong. We have public prayer during the service. We have public prayer before the service at 8.30. We have public prayer uh, at prayer meeting on Wednesday at 9 o'clock. We have public prayer uh, before the second service starts at 10 o'clock. And so if you see me, sometimes when I'm not preaching, I will often slip out. It's because I'm, I walk to a church member's house where about 10 to 15 people gathered to pray before the service because we just don't have the space here. Uh, we have public prayers and we all do public prayers because for whatever reason. Uh, so please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that public prayer is wrong. Neither is Jesus 
uh, saying that public prayer is wrong. Because several times in the gospel, both Jesus and his disciples prayed publicly. And these prayers are recorded for us also in the Bible. So we are to pray publicly. We are to gather together to pray. But we must strive to make our public prayers genuine prayers. And the best way to make our public prayer genuine is to have a healthy private prayer life. And so Jesus is definitely not prohibiting public prayer, but our prayer should always be directed to God and not towards man. And that is underscored. So genuine meaning prayer uh, be- begins uh, with sincerity, uh, uh, sorry, secret, uh, in secret. And when we have a strong, secret, private prayer life, our public prayer life need not be very, very long to impress people how spiritual we are. It can be short and down to the point because it's genuine. And second point is genuine and meaningful prayer is sincere. Not just when it begins uh, 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 in secret, uh, but it's sincere. Here in verse 7 to 8, uh, again, Jesus is correcting uh, some of these people who have prayed wrongly. He said, when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before, uh, before you ask Him. Meaningful prayers do not include meaningless repetition and empty phrases. He says that praying like this is praying like the pagan. Uh, please, re- please remember that the context in this pagan, uh, oftentimes in this culture we use pagan, sometimes we refer to people who are irreligious, people who don't have, uh, um, or people, or I read the, the, the definition of paganism is people who have religious belief that is outside of the main religion, which is Christianity, Catholic, Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism. So you, are, you practice paganism when your religious belief is not part of this major world religion. But in our culture, sometimes we use pagan as a way to say heathen, people who do not believe in God. But in this context, Jesus is not contrasting between irreligious and religious. It's between religious and Christian prayer. So that's the contrast, not between those who do not believe in God and those who believe in God, but he's contrasting between those who, who, who religious prayer and the Christian prayer. And so there's a distinction there. So Jesus is saying that God isn't like some kind of man-made bow, some false God that you have to manipulate or coerce with repeated babblings to get him to hear you and help you. Uh, have you heard of this uh, interesting uh, story about this kid? This father will bring the child, putting the son to bed and, and pray together with the son. And later on, after some time, to get the boy to pray himself. So little, this little boy saying bedtime prayers. Uh, he said, bless mommy, bless daddy, bless God. And God, please give me and then suddenly she, he raised his voice. Lord, he said, he just softly, he said, bless mommy, bless daddy, uh, bless the family. But Lord, please, give me a new bicycle. And then the mom said, wow, God's not deaf, son. And he said, I know, but grandma's is in the next room. And, and she's hard of hearing. 
And so, so the prayer in some sense was, was directed towards, towards the, the, the grandmother. To, to, uh, but uh, here Jesus is saying, well, you, you don't have to keep on babbling or, or, you know, with many, many words because God already knows you, your needs, even before you ask Him. But for some wonderful reason, God wants us to be in the process of asking. And sometimes our asking may be so small, our asking of God may be so little, narrowly thinking this is what we need. Uh, but sometimes through prayer, God begins to expand and God begins to purify our motives and we begin to change what we actually ask of Him. And at the end of the day, we started off with asking God for this thing and after many, many months, the, the thing that you prayed for may not be answered, but somehow you, don't, you have no longer such need. Because God purifies your motives. God somehow, in the process of you praying, He gives you the strength even to sustain through it the crisis or the death or the illness or the sickness. But somehow you have the strength to go through it without God actually answering your prayer in what you ask. But without you praying through that process, you probably won't have the strength to cope with that. And so God is, is wonderful. He uses prayer as a way to, to change us, to mold us, and to, to purify our motive in our asking. And in the process of it, God becoming, directing us, and in the process, we, become, we grow and all that. And so here, uh, Jesus is teaching us that what matters is not those words that you utter. What matters is your heart. As uh, John Bryant, uh, Pilgrim Progress, said, in prayer, it is better to have a heart without words than words without a heart. I'd rather have people pray for me quietly than, to, than people who say, I'll pray for you, but didn't pray. Isn't it true? As we often say, actions speak louder than words. But what's still important, okay, to affirm and all that. <laughs> Remember the story about uh, in 1 King 18, the story of the prophet Elijah competition on Mount Carmel with the prophets of Baal. Do you remember in verse 26? And then the, the then they, the pagan priests, they call on Baal from morning until noon. Oh, Baal, answer us. They shouted over and over again, but there was no response. No one answered. And Jesus is saying, no need. There is, there is a difference between persistent prayer and just mumbling, mumbling all these words that is just fulfilling some kind of obligatory duty, but the heart is not there. Someone say, one sentence burdened with the heart's desire is dearer to God than an hour's rehearsing of words and phrases with no longing behind them. And so here Jesus is saying, wow, the meaningful prayer is sincere prayer. You mean it. You mean it when you pray. It's not just babbling with words that your heart is not there or just fulfilling some sort of a duty that we are doing. Oh, we are all to pray with the boxes. Every day we are supposed to pray, we are supposed to read the Bible. You know, we are just ticking boxes. Or even some people use the Lord's Prayer as a way to recite it. God is not teaching 
us to recite the prayer as in just, oh, every day I just recite prayer. I remember I used to work in a, in a nursing home uh, before I started Sun Life as a carer, in case you do not know. I worked as a carer for a number of years part-time while I started the church because the church was not able to, to support me financially. And, and, and one of the, the ladies in, in a nursing home, uh, she often asked me, could you please pray the Lord's Prayer with me? Because she just feels that it is her duty that she has to pray every day the Lord's Prayer. While I commend her desire to pray, I don't commend her, her thinking that that prayer alone is some sort of a magical power that you pray every day, it kind of brings some magic into your life. Uh, so it's sincerity, meaning and genuine prayer is with sincerity, meaning what we pray, our own heart uh, uh, cry and heartfelt prayer to God. I must move to the third point. Uh, genuine and meaningful prayer. If I have a chance to, to uh, uh, unpack the whole of the Lord's Prayer, I will put this point differently. I will say genuine and meaningful prayer uh, has a specific pattern, which is the Lord's Prayer. Uh, specific pattern in the sense of the Lord's Prayer because because the Lord's Prayer is very comprehensive. A balancing prayer of covering all areas. Unfortunately, most of us, our prayers often is only asking God for things. And while it is important and necessary, it is not the completeness of what Christian prayer should be like. It involves many areas. But, oftentimes we only concentrate on prayer as in asking God for things, asking God for good health, asking God to bless our church. We are often asking God for things. And, and, and too much of our emphasis is lopsided into that. And so Jesus needs to provide us a model to say, hey, not just that, but the whole fullness of what prayer is, is hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. The first part is all about exalting God. And then only give us today our daily bread. Forgives our sins. Lead us not into temptation. So it's a completeness. There's a specific kind of a pattern. Not in a way to, to teaching us to, to go through that. But it's to say that prayer is actually bigger than what it is, the small area. It's just like a church. I remember the leaders retreat, we say that, well, as a church, we, should, we need to consider on uh, two things, you know, uh, how do we engage the community and how do we build, uh, how do we engage community without, but how, and also how do we build community within. We can't just always only engage community without, without building community within because it's not full picture of what a church is supposed to be. We have to do both. We have to, we have to do the engagement part, we have to do the evangelism part, but we also need to do the establishing Christian and equipping Christian. So at least it's a complete picture of what a church is supposed to be like. So we can't just often only look at this equipping and, and, uh, and the, uh, the, the, the equipping and establishing without engaging and evangelizing people. So a balanced church then has to do all these things. So a balanced prayer has to cover all these areas and not just only one part of it. So, if I were to unpack the uh, Lord's Prayer, I would title it, Genuine Meaningful Prayer Has a Specific Pattern. But this morning, I just want to touch on the very, very beginning part of the, the prayer. 
Jesus said, Our Father. Genuine and meaningful prayer must have a special relationship with God. This then is how you should pray. Our Father. Jesus never say, say begin the prayer with our Creator or our King or even our friend. I know this is disputable because sometimes people think that our friend is better than our father, uh, which is true in some sense in, in our, our fallen world relations. It's true. I'm not saying that. Uh, but intentionally, originally, that is not what it's supposed to be. Not what it's supposed to be. Uh, Jesus is saying, our Father in heaven. Not our Creator, even though He was a Creator. Not our King, even though He's our King. Not uh, our friend, even though Jesus is our friend, as stated in John 15. Uh, but, but here, Jesus said, this is then how you should pray. Our Father. And so, if I may, may, may say, the proper basis for prayer is to approach God as a father and to view our relationship with God as a family relationship, not a business relationship. Because many of us, we actually don't realize our relationship here is either you can go down a business relationship or a family relationship a business paradigm, business model, or a family model. On a business relationship, for example, some of us are in business or do business before, on a business relationship level, the basis is I have something for you, what I have for you. But on a family relationship, the basis is what I am to you. You perform for, in a business relationship, the basis is often on performance. You perform for me, I perform for you. And this is the problem. Some of us have a business relationship with God. Lord, I do my part, I've done my deal, therefore you should, have done, you should have done yours. But on a family relationship, the basis is on permanent commitment. I, imagine, just uh, if I may push the illustration a bit further to bring forth what I want to bring across at this point of our Father in heaven, which is, which is fundamental to our basis of prayer. Now, if you live in a house, for example, you can either live in a house as a tenant or you can live as a child. Some of us live in a home as a tenant. And it, maybe you're the landlord. Landlord will lend it out. And you as a tenant, you have to pay your rent. You have some rules. You have to, uh, you have to maintain the house and all that. Uh, you can have a pretty good relationship with the landlord as long as you pay your rent. As long as you respect the property, as long as you keep the rule. Of course, the landlord has to fulfill their duty, they have to fix up the property to ensure it is livable. Uh, you, you can have a pretty good relationship with the landlord, but the exchange is a mechanical one. It is one on good and services. It is a business relationship, good and services. And imagine you are a landlord and you have a tenant and you see each other every day and your friendship begins to move towards not a landlord and, and tenant kind of relationship but more of a friendship moving down toward family level rather than on, from the business level. But everything seems okay. 
you can do that until one day the tenant is unable to pay rent. And that can become a little bit complex, isn't it? What do you do now? If it's based on the business relationship, it's very easy to handle. But now, that relationship is moved from a business level, kind of friend level relationship, now to become like a family. What do you do? Are you going to chase the person out? It becomes complex. So what, what we are saying is that a business relationship is a conditional want. Whereas a family relationship is moving towards unconditional want. Business relationship is based on what you have, what you perform, where a family relationship is, is moving towards what I am. Business relationship is about doing, but family relationship is about being. But if you live in a house as a family member, you're not a tenant, you're a child. And so the paradigm is completely different. The business paradigm is if you perform, you will be accepted. But the family paradigm is since you are accepted, you are to perform. Two completely different paradigms. And Jesus is saying that you can either approach God on a basis of a business paradigm or business model or a family paradigm, family model. And what Jesus is trying to teach is that the pagan ways is like a business model. But Christian prayer is on a family. This God is your father. He's not your CEO. And that is why even in church, relationship can be a, comp can be a bit complex when those things kind of overlap in some sense, isn't it? You have responsibility uh, in the church you're supposed to do, but if you don't do, but you are family, we can't really tell you to Nikov or whatever, because it's complex, it's intertwined, it's a family. And family relationship is always a bit more complex than a business relationship. Business relationship, you can be an angel sometimes. Everybody in the workplace thinks you're an angel until you're, you ask your, and they ask your wife or your husband or your children or your parents. It's different, it's different because our raw emotions are shown in those kind of environments. Uh, so business model or the family model and here Jesus is moving us towards when we are a Christian prayer our model is a family God is our father you know uh, some commentators say that uh, the pagan way they heap up empty phrases they think that they will be heard from their vein repetition the word babbling means empty words and the word many towards the end means anxious so this is how this is just a way to test and find out whether or not your prayer is a Christian prayer or a pagan prayer remember pagan is religious prayer right? your, 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 many Christian they, they offer religious prayer not Christian prayer in the sense so this is how you find out whether you are pagan or, or Christian prayer when your prayers are unanswered you will find out whether or not your model is a family model or a business model. Whether your prayer is a Christian prayer or a pagan prayer when your prayers are unanswered. You, you will either become cold or anxious. You either become babbling or you become many words. You can either be cold or anxious. You'll be cold because you say, well, I've been praying, I've been paying the rent and I deserve something from you, God. Or you'll be anxious because you will say, I have not been paying the rent and therefore I'm probably guilty. 
If your life is not going right and you pray, it is not turning out the way you desire, what's your response? If you get angry with God because you say, I've been a good person, I did nothing wrong, I deserve, I've been paying my rent. God, I've done my part, you, you are supposed to do yours. Then that is pagan prayer. That is not Christian prayer. If you feel guilty, I've been letting him down, I've, been, I've not been paying the rent, and therefore I often feel guilty. That some people always forever feel guilty. They don't want to come to God. They don't believe in, the, in God's forgiveness. They're always forever feeling guilty. They never move on. But in either case, your response proves that you are a tenant and not a child. Your relationship is based on performance and a business relationship and not a family model. Because a religious person, a pagan priest says, God, come into my life and be my landlord. I do my part and you do yours, Lord. But a Christian is someone who says, God, come into my life and be my father. I'm not worthy of your favor. I'm not worthy of your grace. I'm not worthy of your mercy. But through Jesus' death on the cross and only because of his grace and mercy alone, I'm called children of God. So Lord, come into my life and be my savior. J.I. Packer, many years ago, I read this book called Knowing God. I recommend any, everybody uh, as a Christian to read that book, Knowing God, uh, by J.I. Packer, James Packer. He's very old now. He's legally blind and he's retired from as a uh, theologi theologian uh, in, in Regent College. He wrote a book called Knowing God, and he, asked, he answered the question, what is a Christian? The question can be answered in many ways, he said. But the richest answer I know is that a Christian is one who has God for his father. Because it's a family model, not a business model. It's relationship. But of course, when we say God as a father, we, we have two problems. First problem is some people have terrible father in their life. And so when we call God Father, immediately the earthly father's image comes up. Wow, if God is anything like my father, I wouldn't want to worship his God. So, so when we use God as a father, this can be the problem. But it's helpful because Dr. Carl Henry, he was very helpful in pointing out this. He said, the God of the Bible is a sexless God. And when Scripture speaks of God as He, the pronoun is primarily personal and generic rather than masculine and specific. It emphasizes, it emphasizes God's personality in contrast to impersonal entities. In other words, what he's saying is that when the Bible talks about God as He, it is not saying that God is masculine as opposed to feminine. It is saying that God is personal as opposed to impersonal. He is he as opposed to an it, not he as opposed to a she. That God is a person, relationship. Because English, we don't have a pronoun that does not reveal, reveal gender. Chinese, you can speak a pronoun without revealing gender. But English, you can't. 
English is either he or she. And so, God, and that is why family, God needs a father and a mother. The family unit. So the father and mother represent God to the children. It has to be God because we, we see God one or the other sometimes. Either too soft or too harsh. And we need parents to be a model in a sense to represent the fullness of God to the children. Of course, we are fallen creatures. We don't often get it right. Corey Ten Boon uh, uh, says this. The, the great Dutch Christian tells how she learned to trust God when she was in a German concentration camp because of the model of her father. She has a very wonderful father. And as a child, she would call out the evening, say, Papa, I'm ready for bed. Her father would come to her room and pray for her uh, before she went to sleep. He would then place his hand gently on her face and say, Sleep well, Corrie. I love you. And she would receive that every night. She would remain very still because she wanted to feel the touch of his father's hand as she fell asleep. Years later, in a concentration camp, she remembered the feel of her father's hand on her face. When lying on a wretched, dirty mattress, she would say, Oh Lord, let me feel your hand upon me. Because she sees that in the model of her father. Let me feel your touch on my face. Lord, the relationship, the prayer is based on a strong family model. Well, I didn't know that I talked so much. It's already 10.45. I should uh, stop. But just want to give you, just want to give you uh, these few verses and then I'll close. Uh, the, the God said, which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more your Father in heaven will give good gifts to those who ask him. And secondly, all I want to mention about Father is, for you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. And therefore, this is uh, uh, the summary that prayer is family model coming to God as a father, coming to God as a fa our heavenly father. And uh, not in any way uh, business transaction, living as a tenant. So let me just uh, quickly close with this and then I will uh, uh, lead you in the closing tone. There's a story written by Brandon Manning. Uh, he, he visited one of the members of his church, a man who had a uh, a terrible terminal ill disease. And so in one of their visits, the man said, Pastor, I want to ask you about something. When I pray, uh, it helps if I imagine God sitting in that chair right next to my bed in the hospital. I, I, when I pray, I just imagine God is sitting on the chair, uh, the empty chair, sitting there beside my bed. And, uh, and, and, and I turn my head and talk to him as if he was sitting there. Is it okay? Is that appropriate? 
Uh, is there anything wrong with praying like that, imagining that God is sitting in an empty chair? Is it okay? And the pastor said, no, of course not. God is everywhere. As the psalmist says, He's an especially present help in times of trouble. So sure, pray to God as if He was sitting in that chair. And so a few weeks later, the pastor was in his office one morning when he got a phone call from a man's daughter telling him that her father had passed away in the night. And she said, Pastor, it's strange, you know. It's strange. He died with his head resting on the seat of the chair next to his bed. The pastor realized that as death came, uh, this Christian man simply laid his head in the lap of his Abba, his daddy, who he was talking to at the time. Our Abba, who is always near. So may I encourage you, uh, pray that God is your loving Father. Not on the business model, not as a tenant. You are a child in the family model. Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, uh, so rich and so little time to unpack. But, uh, but I just want to bring it home uh, today that you are our heavenly father, a good father. Yes, we may not have a, a good father on earth that uh, has shattered the image that we have of of you in some sense uh, but we thank you that you are our loving father you love us uh, you care for us you know uh, more than we, we whatever we need and so the proper basis for prayer is to approach you as a father and to view our relationship as God as a family relationship not a business relationship and in order for us to do this we need to understand that we have been adopted as children of God because Jesus died for us. So thank you. Help us, Lord, as we leave this place, as we pray. Help us to be sincere, genuine. Help us to be real. Help us not to babble, not tick boxes, but come to you as a child, knowing that you love us, you care for us. And there's nothing that can be wrong in, in, in this relationship when we are genuine. Thank you, Lord. As we sing this closing song, this beautiful song, we are reminded that we have a Father. Thank you, Lord. Amen.